everyone. Welcome to Unjustly, a podcast about the injustices in our criminal justice system. My name is Sandy, and this is my co-host, Stephanie. Hi, everyone. We also have co-host Hercules in the building. <laughs> so if you hear his little paws tapping, just know he's here to help. <laughs> it's my dog. <laughs> so today I'm covering uh, multiple cases that all have something in common, with one of these cases being a very recent event that has been all over the news and social media. These are the very tragic stories of the shootings of Dante Wright, Eric Harris, and Oscar Grant, aka the Fruitvale Station case. All men were shot and killed by police who had claimed to have mistaken their guns for a taser. So a friend of mine that I had gone to high school with, her name is Vanessa, had requested a while back if we could do an episode on the Fruitvale Station case. So I added it to my never-ending list of cases of injustices to cover, but after the recent shooting of Dante Wright, I knew now was the time to discuss it. But as I was researching for these two cases, I went down a rabbit hole of many other cases with the same situation. I had no idea how many times the taser mix-up story had been used. So I want to talk about each of these cases and then go over what criminologists have to say about this type of mistake. The sources for this episode can be found in the bio. So let's talk about Dante Wright first, because this has been in the forefront of recent protesting and calls for justice. Dante Demetrius Wright was a 20-year-old African-American man from Minneapolis. He was the father of a two-year-old son named Dante Jr. He was described as a family man who loved to laugh and spend time with his son. On the afternoon of April 11, 2021, Wright and his girlfriend were driving in his white Buick LaCrosse when the cops pulled him over for an expired registration tag and the presence of an air freshener hanging on the car's rearview mirror. Officers ran Wright's name through a police database and learned that he had an arrest warrant. Quote, after failing to appear in court, the charges were for fleeing from officers in possession of a gun without a permit. Those charges were from last June. Now, in regards to the failure to appear in court, court records do show that a letter that was meant to be sent to Wright with a court date appearance and information was actually returned to the court by mail with a return to sender stamp. So there's speculation that Wright had never even received the court date information, which led to his failure to appear, which led to the warrant. But with this information, police decided to pull Wright over and arrest him. According to Wright's mom, Katie, Wright called her and told her he was being pulled over, and she heard most of what happens next. On the scene was Kimberly Potter, a 48-year-old police officer with over 25 years of experience with the department. That day, she was training a new officer. Potter was with two other officers. So Officer Anthony Lucky approached Wright on the driver's side, and another officer approached the passenger side where the girlfriend was. Potter initially stood back. Body cameras caught all of what ensued next, so Lucky asked Wright to exit the vehicle because there was a warrant for his arrest. Wright stepped out and put his hands behind his back, and Lucky begins to put handcuffs on him. Potter then approaches and grabs a card-like paper, possibly Wright's proof of insurance, but it's hard to tell from the video, and she carries it in her left hand. And then, in a split second, Wright struggles with the officer and breaks free and gets back into his car presumably to flee the scene. Potter reacts to the situation immediately. Her taser was on her left holster, where it typically should be on an officer, and her Glock 9mm handgun is on her right side. And then she yells, I'll tase you. But instead of pulling out her taser, she grabs her handgun with her right hand and again says, I will tase you. Potter holds the weapon in her hand for about seven seconds and then yells, Taser, 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 and she shoots Wright once in the chest. Then she says, holy shit, I shot him. Wright tries to drive away, but only makes it about 150 yards before he collided with another car at an intersection. Officers tried to administer CPR, but he died on the scene at 2.18 p.m. I do want to say, right before coming here, I actually saw a video that was just released today from, did you see that one? Um, a woman who had seen everything that happened, um, she started recording and she shows that officers actually did not administer CPR for four minutes. Oh my God. And in her words, and they interview her too, not just from the video, but the woman who recorded it said, 
even if this woman is saying that she made a mistake, wouldn't she want to do whatever she could to try to help him? Mm -hmm. Instead, she stood back for four minutes and no one helped him. Four minutes can be extremely critical. It's literally life and death. Yeah. And we don't know if he would have survived anyway, but there's still, there's always that chance. You never know. And Mm -hmm. so the fact that for four minutes, they didn't even try to do anything is also very telling. Mm Mm-hmm. The following day, an examiner released the autopsy report saying that Wright's death was a homicide and he died due to a gunshot wound to the chest. That same day, Brooklyn Center Police Chief Tim Gannon held a press conference and announced that Potter had meant to use her taser but accidentally discharged her gun instead. The Brooklyn Center City Council held an emergency meeting and recommended that both Potter and Gannon be fired. On April 13th, Potter and Gannon submitted their resignation letters. Potter stated, quote, I have loved every minute of being a police officer and serving this community to the best of my ability, but I believe it is in the best interest of the community, the department, and my fellow officers if I resign immediately. The following day after an investigation was completed, Potter was charged with second-degree manslaughter, a felony offense entailing culpable negligence creating unreasonable risk, which carries a maximum sentence of 10 years incarceration and or a $20,000 fine. Potter was arrested but was released after posting a $100,000 bail. Potter is being represented by attorney Earl Gray. Gray is known for representing Thomas Lane, one of the officers involved in the George Floyd case, and Geronimo Yanis, the officer who shot and killed Philandro Castile. Wright's family hired civil rights attorney Benjamin Crump. Crump's practice has focused on cases such as Trayvon Martin, Michael Brown, Tamir Rice, George Floyd, Ahmaud Aubrey, Breonna Taylor, Jacob Blake, and people poisoned by the Flint water crisis, just to name a few. That's insane. Isn't that crazy that that list is so long to begin with? Yeah. I mean, he's literally been a part of all the biggest cases Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in recent history. I feel like this has to carry some type of trauma with it. You know, being so close to every single case mm-hmm. that's in this media like this. and It's like, I mean, I don't, obviously I don't know, but it's almost mm-hmm. like trying to correct every single right by continuing to fight. And yeah, that must be really hard. But the fact that we get a semblance of hope mm-hmm. with the Derek Chauvin verdict yeah. must be huge for them, Absolutely. right? Because it's like we've been fighting for so long for something like this and yeah. it's finally happened. Because it usually doesn't. It, Never happens, you know, Mm -hmm. so. Since the death of Wright, there have been unrest, protests, and many public figures releasing statements. At the time of this recording, we are still waiting on a trial to begin. And I don't think a date has been released for that. Have you seen? Mm -mm. Okay. At a press conference, George Floyd's girlfriend attended in support. Floyd's girlfriend was also a former teacher of Wright. Wright also died just 11 miles away from where George Floyd was killed. So it is obvious just how common these issues are with the African-American community and the trauma that those communities keep experiencing over and over again. Mm. On Good Morning America, Wright's father stated, I lost my son. He's never coming back. I can't accept that. A mistake? That doesn't even sound right. This officer has been on the force for 26 years. I can't accept that. And she was training people. Yeah. She was training the next generation of cops. Brooklyn Center Mayor Mike Elliott, who is black, said the shooting of Wright was heartbreaking and unfathomable. Elliott also stated, In this country, if you're black and you get pulled over by the police, you have a very much higher chance of being dead just because you're black and just because you're encountering police. He said, That is a fact we all have to wrestle with. We've seen this far too many times where a young black man or woman is pulled over by police or encounters police and they end up dead. People protesting are asking, when will this stop? So Wright's story has been at the forefront of all our minds right now. It's tragic and it's frustrating, but it is not the first of its kind. So let's go over some of the other past cases that have also led to deaths from police allegedly mixing up their guns for their taser. So the next story is that of Oscar Grant. This is the one that was requested by my friend. Uh, There was a really good movie based on this case called Fruitvale Station with Michael B. Jordan. Um, I recommend you watch it if you haven't. You haven't watched it? No. Fruitvale Station? No. Oh my gosh. I think it was one of Michael B. Jordan's like breakout roles. Oh. Oh, it's so good. Okay. 
they include um, actual footage from the event and they mix it in with like the the actor. Yeah, the movie and the actor. So it's just like this overall encompassing account of what happened. Oh, it's so tragic. Please watch it. I will watch it. Okay. So Oscar Grant III was only 22 at the time of his death. He and his girlfriend, Sofina Mesa, had a little girl together named Tatiana. They were from Hayward, California, which is near Oakland, if you're not familiar with California. On New Year's Eve 2008, Grant, his girlfriend, and a few friends spent the evening in San Francisco to celebrate the New Year. On the early morning of January 1st, 2009, they got into the train to head back home, which was known as the Bay Area Rapid Transit, or BART for short. While on the train, a fight ensued among a couple groups of people which Grant was involved in. BART police officers were dispatched to Fruitvale Station because of the fights. Even though the fight was broken up and over, the conductor of the train announced that the police had been called and would be present at the next stop. When the train arrived at Fruitvale Station, BART police officers began combing through the crowd and picking out who they believed may have been involved in the fight based on a general description given. At this point, Grant and his girlfriend are split up and she exits the station. But also, by this time, the fight had been well over and everyone was already calm when officers had arrived. So it was over. It was a scuffle. I think there was like 20 people involved, but then it was done with. They got over it. Everything was done. And once they got to the next stop, police just came in like hot. Yeah, as if it was still going on. Yeah. No one was injured. Like there was really no issues going on. It was over with. I'm sure it was just like a bunch of drunk kids Mm -hmm. on New Year's Eve. Oh, yeah, it was on New Year's? Yeah, it was on New Year's. So Officer Anthony Peroni walked up to a black man and ripped the jacket off of him. He then threw another three black men against the wall. The officer then turned to the train and yelled for everyone involved in the fight to exit the train and come to him. Everyone remained on the train. So Officer Peroni walked into the train to see if there was anyone who looked as if they were involved in a fight. Officer Peroni saw Grant dressed in an outfit similar to that worn by those who were sitting against the platform wall and therefore removed him. Now, when he says this, I don't fully understand what he means. Like, oh, he was dressed like the other black guys that I threw against the wall. You know what I mean? Like, obviously, they're not matching outfits. um, So I'm not sure if he meant he had saggy pants like them. Like, Mm -hmm. to me, this statement also sounds problematic. Um, But I don't fully understand what his intentions were with that. The train conductor told Peroni that she was unsure if the men they had detained were even involved in the fight. So they have no confirmation that these guys even had anything to do with anything that was already over. (laughs) Yet the officers continue to keep them down. So at this point, there are about four men sitting up against the wall. Uh, This is also the time where multiple people on and near the train started recording. And these are like on flip phones. Mm -hmm. This is not the best recording, but people were in the right mind to know Mm -hmm. this doesn't look okay. We're going to start recording. Some of those who began recording later testified that they did so because they were afraid of the excessive force officers were using. So I watched multiple cell phone footage from different angles, and it was very apparent that these officers were being aggressive towards the men from the start. All of the men were sitting down against the wall, and some even had their hands up in the air. Yet, the officers can be seen yelling down at them, throwing some of them on the ground, and Officer Peroni can be seen rushing one of the men and punching him multiple times as he sat on the floor. So all these men are literally sitting on their butts, back against the wall. Some of them kept their hands up the whole time because they were terrified. Yet, Officer Peroni and a few other officers are like standing over them, just screaming at them and cussing at them. It's awful. For something that was no longer like. No, there was was no longer a threat. There was no issue. Like the fight was over. It had been done with. No one was injured. Like let them go home. But instead. What are you, what are you detaining people for? You don't even know who was involved. Yeah. They still didn't even know if they were even a part of the fight. They just assumed based on their looks. (sighs) But after bickering with Grant, Officer Peroni decided to arrest him and his friends. When I say bickering, the whole time he was like, we didn't do anything. Let us go home. Like, you're keeping us here for no reason. Just let us go home. It's late. He has a daughter to go home to. Um, A couple times his girlfriend had called and you can see in the footage he answers his cell phone and he's like, they're keeping us here. I don't know what's going on. Um, A couple times he takes out his phone and like 
tries to record them. He's like, I'm recording because I'm trying to let you guys know we're not doing anything. Um, and each time they're like, put your phone away, put it away. Like you can't record and Mm -hmm. things like that. So even though Grant was like bickering with them, trying to tell him like, I didn't do anything. He stayed on the floor. Like, yeah. (laughs) So Peroni wants to arrest him because of this, because he feels that he's talking back to him. Um, but first Peroni would knee Grant in the head and punch him. While he's sitting down, an autopsy would later show that this fractured Grant's skull and caused a hematoma. Oh, my God. Officer Peroni would later state that he kneed and punched Grant because Grant hit him first. But video footage showed this was a lie and Grant never even attempted to touch any of the officers. And remember, we have footage from literally every angle you Mm -hmm. can think of. We have it from the back. We have it from the right. We have it from the left. And I believe there is video camera. I think there was cameras at the actual station mm-hmm. themselves. So you can see from, there's no None way. None of them showed any of them. No. Officer Peroni forced him onto the ground on his stomach. He then placed his knee on Grant's neck and said, bitch ass and word, right? Keep in mind that Grant was unarmed and had been sitting on the ground complying with officers while trying to tell the police that he had done nothing wrong. He also had put his hands up in the air multiple times to show he was complying, but was frustrated at the situation. Yeah. Officer Peroni reported that Grant was cussing at the officers and that he was going to arrest him for resisting arrest, which doesn't make any sense to me. But witnesses testified that Grant was pleading with the officer not to shock him with the taser. By now, everyone around them is riled up. Witnesses on the train and around the train station are horrified at what they're witnessing and the excessive force being used on these men sitting on the ground with their hands up complying. Witnesses are yelling for the cops to stop, and it was a very chaotic scene. Like, it was loud. People were just yelling, like, stop, stop. This isn't okay. Like, they didn't, like, leave them alone. So every video you see is just – it's just a lot of – it's just a lot going on. Mm -hmm. It was chaotic. I remember reading somewhere that one of their lawyers or some someone that was on the officer's side had said, look, it was a high-stress situation. They were enclosed in because there was – People on the train, but there's people off the train all just kind of like surrounding and watching. Not that they were like breathing yeah. over them. There's space. Yeah. Um, but they were outnumbered at the same time. They, they caused the situation. Exactly. Like they created the entire situation themselves. So Grant is on his stomach, face down, and being restrained. Then Officer Johannes Masurl comes over and seems to struggle trying to put handcuffs on Grant. So when Officer Peroni kind of like threw him on the ground, his arms had gotten like caught under him kind of. So mm-hmm. he was just in this like awkward position in his stomach, but he couldn't move because he immediately he put his knee on his neck. And then Officer Masurl comes over to like handcuff him, but then he struggles to like move his arms in the position that he needs him to be. So as Masurl is struggling, he lets go of Grant, stands up, pulls out his 9mm pistol from his waistband and fires a single shot at Grant's back. The bullet entered Grant's back, exited through his front side, and ricocheted off the concrete platform, puncturing his lung. According to witnesses, Grant yelled, You shot me. Grant died seven hours later at 9.13am at Highland Hospital in Oakland, California. Directly after the shooting, Ms. Searle could be heard repeating, Oh God. Masurl would later report that in that moment, he intended to draw his taser, but instead accidentally drew his gun, hence the connection to Dante Wright's case. The shooting was caught on multiple cell phone videos and in front of a crowded train with dozens of witnesses. As soon as the shooting took place, officers quickly tried to confiscate people's phones and cameras, but the footages were quickly distributed to the media and the murder was viewed by millions. The following days saw many protests for justice. Police use of force expert Roy Bedard, who initially said he thought the shooting was an accident, reviewed the shooting from multiple angles and changed his mind. He said, quote, I hate to say it, it looks like an execution to me, and it really looks bad for the officer. During the investigation, multiple officers gave false testimonies, which were proven false by video footage. So all the cops there were kind of trying to like save each other's asses Mm -hmm. and they kept giving these like descriptions like they were just resisting they were fighting us they were hitting us and then all the video gets released and everyone's just sitting there with their arms up so 
everything was proven to be false. And I don't think any, I don't think charges were brought against those people that falsified testimonies, but I think some of them were fired because of it. Hmm. And Masurl retained a criminal attorney and pled the fifth. On January 13th, Masurl was arrested. He posted his $3 million bail with the help of the police union and the statewide fund for police officers paid for his defense. At trial, the prosecution presented many witnesses who testified that officers used excessive and unnecessary force. One witness in particular, Jackie Bryson, was one of the men who was with Grant. Bryson was handcuffed and kneeling just a few inches from Grant. Bryson said that when he was thrown on the ground, his arms had gotten pinned under his body and that Grant said, I quit, I surrender. And after Ms. Searle struggled to get Grant's hand out, he said, fuck it, before standing up and shooting him. It was also presented that Ms. Searle had changed his statements to make it sound like an accident. The jury found Ms. Searle guilty of involuntary manslaughter and not guilty of charges for second-degree murder or voluntary manslaughter charges. The jury also found Ms. Searle guilty of a gun enhancement charge that could have added up to 10 years to his prison sentence and made him ineligible for probation. However, the judge overturned the gun enhancement charge, even though the jury found him guilty of it. (laughs) Ms. Searle was sentenced to two years in prison. However, they gave him double credit for time already served. So Ms. Searle served less than a year in prison and was released in 2011. In 2012, Ms. Searle tried to appeal his conviction so that he could return to police work. He was unable to become a police officer again with a conviction on his record, (laughs) but the California Supreme Court unanimously denied it. Thank goodness. I I don't even know why he would want to be a police officer again. In a civil lawsuit against Bart, the family of Oscar Grant was awarded a few million dollars, which included over a million for his young daughter. Officer Peroni was fired from the BART police force over the incident, but was never charged with anything. BART officials also worked with Grant's family in order to implement more progressive policing and reform. In October 2020, the California DA announced that they were reopening the investigation of Oscar Grant's case to see if more could be done to prosecute and specifically to look into Officer Peroni's culpability and accountability for his role in Grant's death. The Internal Affairs Investigation Report stated that, quote, Peroni was, in large part, responsible for setting the events in motion that created a chaotic and tense situation on the platform, setting the stage, even if inadvertent, for the shooting of Oscar Grant. But in January of this year, 2021, the DA announced they were not going to press any charges against Peroni. Although Peroni caused injuries to Grant's head and neck, it would not have led to death on its own and therefore murder charges could not be brought on. And just three months later, we would see the shooting death of Dante Wright. Then we have the case of Eric Harris, an African-American from Tulsa, Oklahoma, and how a volunteer police officer shot and killed him due to taser confusion. So 73-year-old Robert Bates was a reserve deputy sheriff which means he volunteers to help police officers. I thought volunteers couldn't carry guns. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get into that. Oh my goodness. He usually helped take photographs of crime scenes and transport suspects for questioning. Bates was a retired insurance executive and was very good friends with Tulsa Sheriff Stanley Glanz. On April 2nd, 2015, Tulsa officers, along with Bates, conducted an undercover sting operation. Harris was caught selling a gun to an undercover officer. When Harris realized what was going on, he tried to run away, but was quickly caught by an officer. Harris, who was unarmed, was tackled to the ground so he could be handcuffed. And I want to say, in the body cam footage, you can see him running away. He's flailing his arms in the air, so you can clearly tell 100% he doesn't have a gun in his hands. I understand you can fight for well maybe he had one in his waistband whatever the case is but at the time he's running away with his hands all over the place empty-handed as harris laid on the ground being subdued bates came over and shot him once in the back immediately bates said oh i shot him i'm sorry (laughs) oh i'm sorry my bad and i do want to say he says it very like oh i shot him i'm sorry it wasn't like 
oh my god i shot him like it wasn't like this like panic he was very like nonchalant almost yeah like a matter of fact type of thing harris started yelling he shot me he shot me over and over again as he laid face down on the ground with his hands out in front of him a police officer then put his knee on harris's head as he lay there in pain and told him to shut the fuck up because shooting him wasn't enough yeah Another officer got down in Harris's face and is screaming at the top of his lungs, you fucking hear me? You fucking ran. Shut the fuck up. He literally gets on his like hands and knees to like make sure that his face is in Harris's face and he's just yelling and cussing at him for absolutely no reason. And there's like blood coming out of Harris's mouth. Mm. As Harris lay there bleeding out with a knee on his head and an officer's hand around his neck, Harris said, I'm losing my breath. The officer responded by saying, fuck your breath. (gasps) Mm -hmm. As he continued to keep his knee on Harris's head. So I think the behavior of these officers is just as problematic as the volunteer cop who shot him. Just like in Oscar Grant's case where Officer Peroni was using excessive and unnecessary force. These officers would later claim that they acted that way because they did not know he was shot. Even though they heard the loud gunshot, even though Bates said, oh, I shot him, and even though Harris said over a dozen times, he shot me, even though Harris started bleeding at the mouth and had labored breathing, they stuck to their story and they had, they said they had no idea he was shot. It doesn't make any sense. (laughs) It's so stupid. Like, how are you going to deny it when the video's out there? Yeah. I don't know if they didn't know that the body cam evidence would be released. I'm not Mm. sure. Eventually, paramedics were called, but Harris died. Bates claimed that he meant to tase him and even yelled, taser, taser, but drew his gun instead by accident. Which is hard to accept because Bates' bright yellow taser was strapped to his chest and his gun was where it typically should be, yet he never reached for his chest. Yeah. A few days later, Tulsa Police Sergeant Jim Clark told a news conference that the deputy who fired the fatal shot, quote, was a true victim of slips and capture, and that it was typical for law enforcement officers to experience diminished hearing, tunnel vision, or go into autopilot where a person's behavior slips off the path of his intention because it is captured by a stronger response and sent in a different direction. Clark further said that Bates didn't commit a crime and no policy violations occurred. Clark also wrote a report and said that while firefighters were trying to administer aid, Harris was being uncooperative and combative. However, this was a lie. Harris was still handcuffed while firefighters tried to help him and claimed that Harris laid there dying and with very labored breathing. So I'm not sure why Clark would lie about this in the report, but my assumptions would be to either try to place blame on Harris for dying because he wasn't, quote, cooperating with paramedics, or to try to show that the excessive force by officers was necessary. Unfortunately, that was a lie anyway. Mm -hmm. But then the scandal happened because, as it turns out, Bates was never even qualified to have either of those weapons to begin with. It was discovered that records on Bates' training and qualifications were falsified. The Tulsa Police Department immediately stated that, quote, Robert Bates has no current affiliation with the Tulsa Police Department and has not had any in 50 years. Additionally, Mr. Jim Clark, who I quoted earlier, a consultant for the Tulsa County Sheriff, does not represent the Tulsa Police Department, nor has the Tulsa Police Department conducted an assessment of this incident. No, so, like, if he has no affiliation with them, why is he out with them? Yeah, so let's talk about that. (laughs) How does that work? Yep. So Bates was a major donor to Sheriff Glanz's re-election, and in return, he was granted special exceptions during his duty as a volunteer officer. So Bates, in fact, never had any training and was not qualified to serve in the capacity that he did. For his part in the falsifying of documents and allowing Bates to have the job he did, Sheriff Glanz resigned and pled guilty for failing to release information that showed the department knew Bates to be unqualified. He was sentenced to one year in jail, but the sentence was suspended. So he didn't serve any time. So basically what it sounds like is there's the Tulsa Police Department as a whole, and then there's like, you know, the little 
offices or whatever. Mm -hmm. So the sheriff in his little office falsified these documents and they allowed Bates to kind of just hang out with them right along and be a police officer. Yeah. And in the beginning it was like, that's like, how, Mm -hmm. how are you going to like, it's one thing to be like, Hey, we like you. You like to hang out with us. Come and do ride alongs with us. Like come and hang out at work. But to give him, I'm sure like a uniform, a badge, gun, taser, like Mm -hmm. that's, that's a lot. And to be a part of a sting operation. Negligent and dangerous. Mm -hmm. What the I mean, obviously so. He's shot someone who didn't even need to be shot or tasered (laughs) either way. Like it was such a mess. Bates was charged with second degree manslaughter, which he pled not guilty to. Apart from not being qualified from being in the position he was in, it was also debated on whether or not Bates' excuse of taser confusion was even valid because it didn't seem like a necessary situation to even use the taser in the first place as Harris was already subdued. In 2016, he was found guilty and sentenced to four years in prison. But in 2017, Bates was released after only serving 37% of his sentence. Harris's family released a statement saying, We do not believe it is reasonable for a 73-year-old insurance executive to be involved in a dangerous undercover sting operation. We do not believe it is reasonable or responsible for the Tulsa Sheriff's Office to accept gifts from a wealthy citizen who wants to be a pay-to-play cop. In March 2018, Tulsa County agreed to pay the family of Eric Harris $6 million as a final settlement of a federal lawsuit. And that's where that case ends. Nothing else comes of it. Um, I did read that Bates was released after only serving 37% of his sentence, which I think amounted to like a year and some change, but he was on probation and he continuously violated that probation because he wasn't supposed to be drinking. I think it was something like that, but he was captured on video at a bar drinking a lot with his cop friends. Probably. <laughs> and I, I didn't see if any if he got in trouble because of that, but it didn't seem like he served any other types like of sentence. Time. Yeah. So now that we've heard these three cases of taser confusion, let's go over how easy or how hard it is to draw and fire a handgun mistakenly instead of a taser. I also want to mention that these are not the only three cases. These are just the three cases I chose to cover. Um, But if you go online and look up like taser confusion, um, there is a list of a running list, a running list of other times this has happened. These are only the instances that were captured on video. And it doesn't seem like this is something that typically someone gets charged for either. I think really it only came about because of the video footage. Mm. I also want to mention that for some reference and understanding of these issues, I did consult with two friends of mine, one being a police officer and one being an active duty service member who has been involved in armed combat overseas. Both wish to remain anonymous, which I understand, but my conversations with them did shape how I approached my research on this. So here are some factors to consider. The placement of the gun and taser are very important. Law enforcement experts say the gun should be holstered on the officer's dominant side of the body, so on the right side if they're right-handed, and the taser should be placed on the non-dominant side and the officer would have to cross over to draw. So if a taser is placed on the wrong side that the police officer is typically not used to, it is understandable that muscle memory can kick in and in the heat of the moment, they could grab the wrong weapon. In Dante Wright's case, the Brooklyn Center PD did follow this suggestion and Potter did have her taser and gun in the correct locations. So this doesn't apply to her. In Oscar Grant's case, Ms. Earl also had the taser and gun in the correct location. So this excuse also doesn't apply to him. In Harris's case, it is slightly different, but the taser was kept on Bates' chest Bates claims that he was left-handed and the gun was on his non-dominant side, but he also contradicted himself when he stated that he shoots long guns with his left hand and handguns with his right hand. So it would make sense that the gun, which was a handgun, was on his right side Hmm. because he shoots handguns with With his right hand. His pepper spray was kept on his left side. So with the gun on Bates' right side where he typically shoots, 
and the taser on his chest, I don't think this muscle memory excuse applies either. Mm-hmm. I mean, if anything, it confirms if he's used to shooting with his right, it confirms, I mean, his muscle went to grab right. what he wanted he to grab, with- which was a, a gun. Mm-hmm. Although I can absolutely accept this issue of incorrect placement of the weapons and muscle memory causing the officer to make a mistake, this unfortunately was not the case for any of the cases I examined. Then we have the slip and capture theory, which was mentioned in the Harris case. So as a reminder, this theory states that in a high-stress situation, officers can experience diminished hearing, tunnel vision, or go into autopilot where a person's behavior slips off the path of his intention because it is captured by a stronger response and sent in a different direction. However, criminal justice experts generally agree that this is junk science. According to Phil Stinson, an assistant professor of criminal justice at Bowling Green State University, states, there's no peer-reviewed articles that would support this and it's not generally accepted by the scientific community. So it's something that in most courts would not be admissible as evidence. Bates's defense tried to use this theory in court and it did not hold up. The only other time slip and capture has ever been used as a defense was in the shooting of Oscar Grant. And as we know, that defense failed. Now, I won't be surprised that this theory is presented in Kim Potter's defense for her taser confusion shooting of Dante Wright, but only time will tell with that case since we're still awaiting trial. But what's more important that we should take into consideration are the weapons themselves because there are major differences in a taser and a gun, and they are purposely built to be distinguishable to avoid mix-ups, according to Taser International. Steve Tuttle, Vice President for Strategic Communications at Taser, says that a gun is significantly heavier, a taser typically weighs half as much as a gun. A taser has a different grip and feel than a gun, and when you take the safety off on a taser, an LED control panel lights up. Also, tasers can be different colors, usually all bright neon yellow or black with multiple pieces being bright yellow. And the holster is different from a gun's holster as well. So keeping all this in mind, I want to do a little experiment. In Dante Wright's case, Potter had her gun drawn for about seven seconds before firing it. I think we can all agree that when you are in a crazy or high stress situation, time seems to feel so much longer. As an example, if your child is choking, seven seconds of that will seem like a lifetime. If there's an intruder in your home and you're hiding in the closet, Mm -hmm. seven seconds would seem unbearable. So even though at first glance, hearing that Potter only had her gun drawn for about seven or eight seconds doesn't seem like a lot of time, but in actuality, seven seconds is a lot of time to realize that you're holding the wrong weapon. So to prove it, I want us to be silent for seven seconds just to show you how long that actually is. For our listeners, don't fast forward this. This is part of it. Just bear with me. And I'm going to start the time now. Okay, so in that time, Potter was able to feel the weight of her gun, which is twice as heavy as a taser. In that time, the gun can be seen on her body camera, which means it was in her line of vision. And you can see that it's a gun and not a taser. It is hard to judge how someone would feel in a high-stress situation like that when you've never been in one. I'm not a cop and I will never be in a situation like that, so all of my opinions are based on speculation. But... At the same time, there are plenty of precautions taken by the taser manufacturer to make sure officers know, feel, and see the difference when they draw their tasers as opposed to their gun. The company also states, though, that it is up to each law enforcement department, however, in how to train personnel and what regulations it requires. So to clarify, there is no standardized training for the use of tasers by police in the United States. And this is where part of the issue may lie. The officer I spoke to said he heard rumors that in Wright's case, Potter may have been out of the field for a long time, and it could very well be that the department was lacking in training. In Grant's case, Ms. Searle was somewhat of a rookie cop and probably wasn't trained enough to handle a high-stress scene with the chaos of officers yelling and dozens of people enclosed around them also yelling. In Harris's case, 
Bates was a 73-year-old retired volunteer cop with no real qualifications. So consistent and relevant training and preparation for a variety of high-stress situations may be one huge and necessary step to resolve these type of murders. And of course, we have the possibility of underlying issues such as systemic racism, implicit bias, the disregard for black and brown lives, and police brutality. And these are all heavy-hitting topics and the reason why we protest, but it could very well play a role in these taser confusion situations. I can't say for certain, but it's hard to not make that connection. Police brutality for sure played a role in at least two of these cases. Apart from the officers who fired the fatal shots, the other police officers involved absolutely abused their power and was extremely concerning. In Oscar Grant's case, Officer Peroni was the aggressor. He was punching, kneeing, and kicking men who were sitting on the ground with their hands up. Just because Grant was bickering with the officer, telling him he did not do anything wrong, did not warrant fracturing Grant's skull. He cussed them out as he stood over them and used the N-word. There's no way this is the first time he's used the successes force either. I think this is just the first time it got caught on, on camera. camera. Although Peroni was fired from BART, no criminal charges ever came about. On top of that, we come across the issue that even if Misrule allegedly confused his taser with his gun, he probably shouldn't have even used a taser to begin with. Grant had been complying. He was kneed and punched and thrown on the ground. Peroni had his knee on Grant's neck. Just because his arms got caught under him when he was thrown on the ground and Misrule struggled to get the cuffs on him did not warrant tasing him. And that was brought up in court as well. Unfortunately, though, in this situation, it didn't seem like it it held a lot of weight because he was charged with involuntary manslaughter, not murder. Mm -hmm. So there's still issues with that, even on its own. In Eric Harris's case, the officers who took him down also disregarded his life with excessive force. As Harris lay on the ground, unarmed and bleeding out after getting shot, you still keep your knee on his head. And when he says he's losing his breath, you tell him, fuck your breath. And the other officer gets on the floor just a few inches away from his face to tell him, fuck you. None of this is necessary or appropriate. And it absolutely breaks my heart that both Grant and Harris's last moments alive were spent with knees on their head and officers screaming and cussing at them. Both unarmed men, and neither of them tried to hurt any of the officers. Now, we've heard the argument that if they would have just complied, then none of this would have happened. In Grant's case, he did comply, and he was still murdered. And he's not the only one. There's a long list of people that have been shot and killed while complying. Many of them shot while their hands were up in the air. So the just comply answer is not the end-all be-all because it still happens in at alarming rates for black people. Wright and Harris did not comply. Wright did get back into his car to try to flee. Harris was trying to run away from the cops after he got caught in the sting operation. Both men were unarmed, but just because they're trying to run away doesn't mean they deserve the death penalty right there on the spot. Being a cop is a hard job. There's no doubt about it. It's stressful and dangerous, and I'm sure over the years that stress accumulates. But at the same time, police are not judge, jury, and executioner. Even if you break a law, you still have a constitutional right of due process and just basic human rights in general. Running away from a cop does not come with an automatic death sentence. If you shoot at cops and try to kill them, then yes, I'm sorry that does warrant being shot back at. Um, those officers deserve to go home to their families at the end of the day and need to defend themselves. But someone with a traffic violation running away from the cops also deserves to go back home to his family, especially when we know that these situations statistically turn out worse if you're a minority. So with the Dante Wright case underway, we will see what change, if any, is brought on and if there would be any accountability for the negligence. Because essentially, if a military guy is negligent on the field and makes a mistake, he is held accountable and can have criminal charges brought against him. Same with medical personnel who make mistakes. There are many professions who can face criminal charges and be held accountable for the mistakes, and there is a reason for that. So I do want to mention, like, I know not all cops are bad. Don't roll your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, there are some 
that legit are there to help the community. There are some that have done amazing things that have saved people that are out in the community, you know, playing basketball with the kids and all these things. Like there are good cops, but at the same time, and I hate when people use the term like there's just a bad, you know, a few bad apples. That's not necessarily the case because the problem is that the foundation of the police department as a whole has very deep rooted issues. And because of that, that foundation has allowed for these quote unquote bad apples to come through and to feel that they can do whatever they want to do and to feel that they can get away with it. And to be honest, there are way more bad apples than you think there are. You know, there's only a few that have been caught on camera, but there are so many more that have not been caught on camera. There's so many more that have been prior to cameras being invented around. Yeah. Like before we had cameras on our cell phone, I can't even imagine how many cops have gotten away with these excessive force. And so I think where my issue comes, Mm -hmm. comes up, it's like that thing that's been going around, right? Like Black Lives Matter Mm -hmm. is a thing Mm -hmm. because there are black people and black people matter. Yeah. Blue Lives Matter is not a thing. No. Because there are no blue people. Right. And so when you say like there are good cops, I don't necessarily to me it that's not what I what I would say is Mm -hmm. there are good people who happen to be cops. I like that. I like not there are good cops and there are bad cops because there's also to me a problem with you you can't really be a good quote unquote cop mm-hmm. and allow your peers to do these things mm-hmm. because even if they're not involved i'm sure they know about it and i'm Absolutely. sure in their silence or in their complicity yeah they're allowing it to continue and so i i think that there are good people who become cops yes or there are good people who are cops right now But I have a huge problem with police and law enforcement Mm -hmm. in general because in that situation and in that institution, it doesn't seem like good is winning over evil. Oh, no, no. And so and until that happens, I can't really say, yeah, oh, there are good cops and there just happens to be a lot of like a couple bad apples or, you know, now that we have phones, we're we're seeing it more Mm -hmm. often. It's like there has to be a complete erasure and like a a new beginning when it comes to law enforcement because reform is not working i have a a terrible issue and this really goes back to the foundation of what the police department stands for in general where there's so many instances of cops that do call out their fellow officers when they are using excessive force and they do write them up and they get fired for it we had that lady recently that just got her um like firing overturned or whatever the case was. And the reason she got fired was because she stopped a fellow officer from Mm. using police brutality and she immediately was fired and she Mm -hmm. like lost her entire life Mm -hmm. because of it. Um, So there are cops that are trying to call it out, call it out, but then they get fired and that goes back to the foundation of Mm -hmm. how the police department was built on to begin with. It's awful. You're completely correct when it's like, there's not this like easy fix. It's it's you have to start from the bottom and work your way up. That's really the only way to see any change because we have had plenty of law changes and plenty of reform mm-hmm. up until now. Obviously not enough, but still even with that, like we are still seeing it to this day. It doesn't really seem like things have gotten better. The act of firing officers who try to call out other officers who are doing bad. I don't know if that's like a typical thing in all departments or if only certain departments do it or if it's a case by case basis, but I don't think, I think that's one of the things that should be stopped. I think we should reward other officers who are trying to say like, Hey, this guy did something wrong. This is not okay. We're here to serve the community. And they're doing the absolute opposite of that instead of getting fired. Because then we have those people that were good people, but now they're scared of losing their careers. Mm Mm-hmm. Which I guess I personally would prefer to just lose it and be like, oh, fuck it. I don't want to deal with this anymore. Yeah, I don't want to be a part of it. Yeah, but I understand like if you've committed your whole life to this and this is your career and you have a family, like I understand how that can be um, scary to call mm-hmm. someone out, but it shouldn't be like that. I think that should be part of them as an officer. Like we're mandated reporters. If mm-hmm. I see someone doing something to a child, I'm going to call them out. No matter who they are, I have to report them. 
I feel like it should be the same with officers who see other officers doing something wrong. It's just, that's the way it is everywhere else. Yeah. It seems to be that only they have this different, they don't seem to be following the same rules Mm -hmm, that the mm -hmm. rest of society seems to be following. Yeah, that's true. Because in the medical profession, if you see a doctor doing something wrong and you don't call them out, like you don't bring it to, it's malpractice. Yeah. Yeah. It's same thing. And they've taken oaths too, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. They do. I don't know. It, none, it doesn't make sense. So I do have a couple of call to actions. You can visit oscargrantfoundation.org and donate to their scholarship fund or purchase merchandise. You can also donate to the GoFundMe page for Dante Wright to help with the son he left behind. Um, I'll put the link to the page on our social media page as well. So thank you everyone for listening. I know this was a really hard one and it's a very debated topic. I know it's really heated. We might get bad reviews for whatever we say if you don't believe this as well. It is what it is. Um, But honestly, I think it's it's really important to talk about, um, especially seeing with this in particular where we see so many of these taser confusion things all of a sudden and people losing their lives over it. Um, I think there's a a bigger underlying issue that needs to be looked at and discussed. Um, But visit us on social media under Unjustly Podcast to see photos associated with the episodes and let us know what you think about today's topic. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving us a rating and review on Apple Podcast. Stay tuned for next week's mini-sode on an issue of one example of modern day segregation. So stay tuned. We'll see you next week. Thanks for being here, guys. Thank you. Bye. Bye. So let's talk about Dante Wright first. I said so really loud, huh? For like no reason. <laughs> because there was a warrant. Ugh. God, I should have spell checked all of this. <laughs> oh, my God. Wright's daily. Oh, family. Oh, God. <laughs> <sighs> <laughs> doing when you're typing i don't know i have kids running around i have husbands trying to flop my tots and shit <laughs> like god husband's trying to what flop my tots What's that? Flop them. <laughs> no they don't leave me alone <laughs> no 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 i was watching trash reality tv <laughs> on mtv okay no good it. anyways thank you guys goodbye no <laughs>